0: Well, let's pray together. God, we praise you here in this place this morning. God, we are delighted that we, because of your son, Jesus, get to enter your presence. And we know that you are always with us. And so, God, I pray that as we uh, talk about these things this morning, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the truth that you would have for us. That through your spirit you would continue to speak from these ancient pages. We ask these things for the glory of your Son, our Savior. Amen. You know those moments in life when you realize you're not as awesome as you thought you were? Of course, you know those moments, right? We all know those moments. I hate those moments. Uh, so these, these past few months, I, I've been working really hard to sort of get back into shape a little bit Eating healthier, uh, losing a few pounds, lifting weights, exercising more, all, all of that I'm sure you've all noticed, of course um, But you know, I've been working, working hard on it and, and so this past weekend, I decided you know, it's time to, to step it up a notch Okay, and so I go to the store with the kids and um, to pick out sort of the next item for my repertoire. I found it—the perfect, the perfect workout tool here. It even says "Get Ripped" right on the box. Okay, (laughs) bright yellow box. It looks like it's got to be perfect. Seven-in-one body building system comes with you know pull-up bars and ab core straps. And just look at the guy in the box, right? Right? Yeah. That's, that's the plan anyway. And, and standing in the store, right, picking this thing out, looking at it, in my mind, I can actually do all these things. <laughs> I can't, is the reality. And, and so, you know, I, I got home, and I, you know, I did my best to get it all set up, and I'm, I'm excited to try out my first new workout. You know, I'm thinking to myself... And just take it easy, right? You don't got to show off, right? It's new, you know, just test it out a little bit. It's like four pull-ups in, and I'm hanging there like a monkey on a tree, right? And I have images of me just throwing the whole thing right straight into the dumpster. Because in my mind, this is what I look like. In my mind, right? Right? What I discovered, you know, in that workout is the reality is a little bit more like this. <laughs> Patrick made those so you can you can thank him later. Okay, we can just yeah, just I can't even look at it. Ooh. But it was it was hard, it was painful, but the reality is nobody said it was going to be easy. Trouble is, I love easy things. I love them. I mean, with easy things, I feel good about myself, and I feel good about my, my world. In fact, what I realized is that I bought that not to help me get stronger, but really just to confirm how strong I already thought I was, which wouldn't do any good at all, would it? But I am so conditioned to love and expect easy things you know I'm talking about a whole lot more than just working out, right? We love easy things. And when things get hard, when they're not as easy as we had hoped or expected, we begin to second-guess ourselves, each other, and God. But nobody said it was going to be easy. And I think we all know that most of the best things in life are not easy. If you're not a Christian, I'm really glad that you're here, and we want to be a place where you can explore who Jesus is and think about matters of faith and ask questions, all of that, Uh, and yet some Christians tend to try to oversell Jesus just a little bit. You know what I mean? Kind of like you follow Jesus, and you'll have good health and success every way you turn. And you know, we'll throw in a free iPad to the first ten converts, kind of, or kind of like the, the sort of the sleazy salesman, right? To, uh, approach where, where, yeah, you, you get everything you want. You'll, your life will always be happy. Your dreams will come true. You'll accomplish something amazing. No more trials in your life if only you begin to follow Jesus, all for no interest and no money down, right? But that's not reality. And I want to I be clear here because I wouldn't trade life with Jesus for anything in the world. And I do believe that there, there's a joy and a sense of meaning that comes with following Jesus that I don't think you can find anywhere else. Absolutely believe that. But nobody said it was going to be easy. I mean, nobody in here anyway... In fact, Jesus said just the opposite. In Matthew, he said, For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Life with God isn't going to be easy. Nobody said your marriage was going to be easy. Nobody said parenting or your work or your school. Sometimes life with God is hard, even when we're doing the right thing. The desire that we have for for ease, for comfort, for safety, I mean, we live for it, and if if you take any one of those things away from us, and so quickly we get discouraged. So how do we persist when life gets hard? How do we make it? So there's this guy, Nehemiah. We met him last week, right, if you're here with us. He's, he's a, a Jewish man, a single guy, a, a palace slave to the great Persian emperor Artaxerxes, one of the most powerful men who's ever lived. He was the cupbearer to the king, the wine guy, essentially. And, and meanwhile, again, this is, this is 2,500 years ago, a long time. Meanwhile, the city of Jerusalem, the beloved city of the people of Israel, has lain in ruins for 140 years. But God puts it on Nehemiah's heart to do something about it. That the brokenness in in his life and in his world compelled him to weep, to pray, to work, and to trust. We talked about that, right? And We we talked about how the brokenness in our lives that compels us to do the same, to weep, to pray, to work, and to trust, to, to long for redemption in our lives and in our world, to bring light into the darkness, and for most of us, that's wherever we are, right? Uh, It's our communities, it's our neighborhoods, it's our workplaces, our families, our schools, wherever God has placed us, that's where we we do this sort of work of rebuilding. If you need help getting started or what this might look like for you to, to bring light and darkness, talk to one of us. We'd love to help. And for Nehemiah, it was rebuilding these walls, In Jerusalem. Because without walls, the people of of Israel, the people of Jerusalem, were a target of of, of oppression and racism and greed and violence, all kinds of injustice. And so Nehemiah leaves his cushy job in Susa and makes the 1,100 mile trip to Jerusalem. And in chapter three, the building begins. And it starts off amazing. I mean, truly, in chapter three, things couldn't possibly be going better for this, this group of builders and for Nehemiah as he as he leads them. I and mean, we see a picture of, of such unity and hard work there among the people. Chapter three, we're not gonna read all, but we'll read a couple of verses. But essentially it's name after name after name after name of men and women, young and old, rulers and priests and perfume makers, and everyone possibly there gathered together, building this wall. You didn't have to have the spiritual gift of wall building. You just had to be willing to meet a need. Anyone and everyone. And so, for example, 29 times in chapter 3, you you can see the words next to him or after him. Because It's just on and on, this list showing the proximity and nearness of the workers. So-and-so and and then next to him, and then so-and-so and then next to him. All the way around the entire city wall, Nehemiah records that. For example, let's read verse 22. And this is just part of the whole chapter. It says, after after him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah repaired beside his own house. On and on and on they built. Often right outside their own homes, right? You can imagine sort of the uh, uh, motivation, right, to help build the wall to protect your house. Here's a little bit of, of what it looked like. You kind of get the, the black dotted line. That's the wall that they're building. It's about two, maybe two and a half miles of wall, uh, enclosing 225 acres, give or take. Uh, there's another picture that just kind of shows maybe a little bit of a perspective of what it was they were gathered together working to build. So there they are, and everything, I mean, it couldn't be any better at this moment. They, they knew that it was going to be impossible to build the wall by themselves. And so here we have a bunch of random people working together on one thing. God's work brings people together. And just, I mean, kind of go back there, right, in your mind of what it must have been like to be one of those individuals working on this wall, seeing the progress, I mean, the unity, the joy, all of it. They, imagine what that would have been like knowing that God was using them to rebuild his city, answering their prayers, doing exactly what they had trusted him to do. They could be a part of that. Have you ever had a moment like that? You could just sort of feel the, the excitement and, and the unity that knowing that you were a part of something bigger than yourself, seeing the real difference that you were able to make in somebody else's life. Those are great moments. I mean, really, that's what, that's what life with the church ought to be like, right? Serving one another inside these walls and serving the world outside of these walls. And in, in Israel, the rubble is being replaced with security, with a wall of protection. But nobody said it was gonna be easy. Easy the enemies they they start taking notice a little bit here uh, in chapter 4 they begin to see what's what's going on chapter 4 begins now when sanballat heard that we were building the wall he was angry and greatly enraged and he jeered at the jews and he, he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of samaria so this is we're talking a lot of people here are, are beginning to oppose what's happening and and he said in front of them all he said what are these feeble jews doing Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? And Tobiah, he's kind of the sidekick here. The Ammonite is beside him and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. (laughs) That's kind of his attempt at a joke, right? The wall so weak that a fox is going to knock it over. So we have these two guys, Sanballat and Tobiah. I kind of, I picture these, these jerks a little bit like the old guys in the Muppets, right? You know these guys? Uh, they're, they're just sort of looking down from their kind and, and protective balcony, uh, hating the Jews, looking down at them, mocking them, laughing at them. We're happier when you don't build. Ha, ha, ha. you know. Anybody? The Muppets, right? Okay, you know what I'm talking... That, that, that's what I picture with these guys, except they, they are terribly, terribly cruel. I mean, history tells us that that Sanballat uh, was likely the governor over Samaria, th- this region. So he's an individual of incredible power, and, and the opposition here is joined by these other groups, the Ammonites, the A- Ab- Ab- Adadites or whatever, uh, the Arabs, strange, right? Jews and Arabs not getting along—it's um, been around for a while, right? These these issues. And so there they are, oppressing the Jews. All of these groups, and now they're beginning to see them unified, building protections around themselves. They know that their power is in question, and they're angry about it. And God's people are in terrible danger. The story continues, verse six. Nehemiah says, so, so we built the wall and all the wall was joined together, okay? So it's one big unit, but to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. But half a wall is not going to cut it. And we're not talking about empty threats here. In verse eight, their enemies plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. In verse 11, our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And the people are terrified. They're not soldiers. They're not even wall builders for crying out loud. They, they, they questioned the status quo, right? And now they're gonna get their payment for it. Sometimes the reward for doing the right thing is a kick in the face. And some of them, some of God's people even begin to believe the taunts, the criticism, the ridicule. It says in verse 10, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And the Jews from the surrounding area swarmed into Jerusalem, warning the workers to abandon their project, knowing that they're in danger. And so everything has been off to this awesome start, and now they are discouraged and afraid. I mean, they know what they're doing is right. They know that God has called them to do it, but it's not fun anymore. Nobody said it was going to be easy, but they didn't know it was going to be this hard. Life with God, faithfulness to him, doing what he's called us to do, obedience. Sometimes discouragement is just inevitable. And it gets so bad as the story continues that they, they begin dividing up their labor. They can't all work on the, on the wall anymore. Some have to guard the city, night and day. And the workers, it says, verse 16, from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And further down, it says, those who carried burdens, like those who were working on the wall, were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. I mean, are you following this, right? A sword in one hand, a rock to put on the wall in the other. I mean, today it'd be like watching somebody build a house carrying a hammer and a shotgun. You can imagine it cuts down the productivity, doesn't it? I mean, the work has never been more urgent for them. And never has it moved more slowly. Those moments in life, when all of a sudden it feels like you're swimming upstream, you put in twice as much work and see half the effort. I mean, maybe that's your marriage, your family, your, your work. Maybe it's some area in your life that you're trying to do some some rebuilding and, and doing something to bring light in the darkness. Maybe it's just in your temptations. Maybe some of you feel that way right now. Exhausted. Beat down. If your life didn't depend on it, you would have quit building this wall long ago. But nobody said it was gonna be easy. Just didn't know it was gonna be so hard, right? But they keep at it. They keep building half as fast and twice as scared. They had a mind to work with all their heart. And it says in verse 20, so we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. That's a long work day. And in just 52 days, the wall was finished. Their enemies were thwarted and they were a people once more. Life with God isn't easy. The work of redemption isn't easy. You you know it, I know it, Nehemiah knew it. And while our circumstances are so different from theirs, there's so much we can learn from this story. And we all might grab onto these things a little bit differently. I I I think I see four things in particular. Just jump out at me from this story. We might all grab onto them differently. For some of you, uh, it might be the work that you do or the places like Nehemiah that you are working to do rebuilding. Others, you might not be there. Your your context, you might think of these with your relationships or your health or your temptations. The reality is, in a broken world, there is no shortage of setbacks Frustrations and discouragements. So, how do we persist when life with God is anything but easy? First, if you want to persist, you'd better expect discouragement. Just expect it. We live between redemption and full restoration, discouragement happens. Discourage, right? From the, the etymologically, it's the removal of courage, right? And we get discouraged when exhaustion comes or when the rubble seems too to high, when the danger feels too intense. We get discouraged when, when we believe our critics or the, our circumstances or the struggles with our, with our own sins or when it all just takes so much longer than we'd hoped. The thing is, we don't really expect to get discouraged, right? We don't expect things to be hard. I mean, for the most part, we live in a culture in which anything worth having could be had immediately. Any, any job worth doing can be done with, with relative ease, and any time it gets hard, there's always an easy way out, right? I mean, we live in a world of, of cheap credit, overnight shipping, and quickie divorces, and we're becoming defined by these things. And some of you... Again, you're, you're there. You're already experiencing that discouragement. Maybe, maybe it isn't your marriage, right? And you're, you're inches away from just sort of taking that easy way or what you think might be the easy way out. Or maybe, maybe you're passionate about caring for the poor. Maybe that's, maybe that's your thing, and, and yet the more you do it, the more you realize that there's a lot of poor people. And it's going to take a long time and it's going to require a whole lot of effort, and so we begin to think to ourselves, "What's better—to quit now or to get discouraged later?" We wrestle with that, don't we? And if you feel discouraged right now, you have know, something in your life, and you just—you you kind of—you want to quit. You're tired of how hard it is all the time, and you're second guessing yourself, you're second guessing others, you're second guessing God. I get it. I get discouraged. But don't get discouraged by your discouragement. It doesn't necessarily mean you're doing anything wrong, and it certainly doesn't mean that God has left you. It means that our world is still broken, and so are you. So we'd better keep building. And really, that's that's the second thing here. If you want to persist... Sometimes you just better keep your head down and power through. That's a line from, um, from a, a ridiculous TV show. Uh, it's, it's one that uh, the dad always says to his teenage son anytime the son complains about a job, anytime it's too hard, it's too difficult, the chore is too tough, he says, son, just keep your head down and power through. Keep your head down and power through. It's kind of a callous response, but in some ways that's exactly what life requires sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes that's all you can do, and it stinks, but you keep working, you do what God calls you to do, even when you hate it, even when you're distracted, even, even when it feels like you're working half as fast, you just keep doing it, even if it really isn't your thing. I mean, can you imagine, right, the people building, the wall, you know what, wall, wall building, it's just not, it's, it's not really my thing. Well, then we're all going to die, right? I mean, that's, that was, that's the idea back then. They didn't have a choice, Sometimes there are tasks that we have to do just because they have to be done. And so often when we, and myself included here, we approach service, whether it's in the church or in our workplace or with our families, we approach it so individualistically, so self-centered where we sort of say, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm holding out for my thing, right? I'll, I'll start serving when I find the thing that's just perfect for me and I can use my gifts and all is great. And, and that's that's great when that happens, right? We love it when that happens. But if that describes you, if you're just sort of waiting to serve until you find it, you're not waiting to serve, you're waiting to be served. You're waiting to, to have that feeling of, of significance and joy that comes from using your gifts. And, and certainly you want that in your life. But some jobs just need doing. So if there's a need, meet it. That's, just, that's part of what it means to follow Jesus. And you do it as if your life depended on it. That's obedience. because you, you know the goal, right? And all that God calls us to do it's not success. it's not happiness. I mean sometimes we think that's it, right? you've got you to be the best at your job, you 've got to have the best family, you 've got to fix global poverty and you 've got to build the, the most amazing church or, or whatever we think in those terms, but god 's biggest goal for you it's not. It's not success or happiness, it's faithfulness. That's what he wants. And sometimes faithfulness requires that we keep our head down and we power through. We just do what he's called us to do. But we never do it alone. That's the third thing. Never alone. If you're gonna persist, you've, you've got to stand next to somebody. Again, I, I love that in, in chapter three, all those next to hymns and after hymns. I mean, nobody does this work alone. It's, it's hard work. The task is too big and the discouragement is way too real. If you have any inclination to follow Jesus with your life, any inclination whatsoever, you better stand next to someone. Somebody. And, and this is where in many, in many ways there is nothing in the world quite like the local church. Because nothing in the history of the world has been as effective at gathering a diverse group of people, all cultures, all races, all backgrounds, around one mission, this idea of following this Savior. Just imagine what can be accomplished with this kind of unity. As a church, one of the things we believe, we are called to give ourselves away. That's Defines us, to our neighborhood, our city, our world. And that's one of our, one of our values, right? This idea of city, that this is, this is part of what it means to follow Jesus, to be a part of his church, to live this life and to do this work of redemption together. Will you join us? For Some of you, it's time to get off the sidelines, right? The lunch break is over. The stakes are just way too high. And sure, the discouragement will come. Of course it will. But standing next to someone, life is half as hard and twice as good. But most importantly, and you just you can't miss this in the story, if you want to keep on, don't forget God. Oh yeah, right, God, yeah. Forgot about him for a minute, didn't we? Don't forget God, okay, that's really important. It sounds obvious, but we're so forgetful. I'm so forgetful. And I love how throughout this story, twice in particular, um, for, for example, the Israelites, they respond with prayer. In verse four, they cry out, hear, O our God, for we are despised. And they pray that God would bring justice on their oppressors. And in verse nine, it says, again, it says, and we prayed to our God and, I love that, and we set a guard as protection against them, right? They prayed about it, and they did something about it, right? That the, both of those things are absolutely important for them. And people, we have got to pray. I mean, Things are just too hard, too scary, too discouraging not to. I mean, if these problems that we face, if they were easy to solve, they'd be solved already. So we've got to pray. Pray for justice, for relief, for freedom, for for joy, for comfort, for those who are hurting. Pray for restoration. Pray that God's glory would be evident in your life and in our world. And trust that he will do it. Maybe not exactly how we want him to do it. I mean, let's be honest. God does what he wants. But our job is to trust him. As Nehemiah, as he rallied the workers, he said to them, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Our God will fight for us. Nobody said it was going to be easy. But the best things in life are rarely easy. Did you know that Jesus was offered the easy way out? I forget that sometimes, and I certainly forget that he was actually tempted to take it. And that's what it says Satan offered it to him in the wilderness. In Matthew it says that the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and he said to Jesus, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And that's why Jesus came, to be the king of everything and here it is offered it to him. Without the agony, without the shame, without the cross and without you and me. Because the only road to our redemption was a hard road. Aren't you glad Jesus took it for us? So that we can be forgiven for our hearts that just love easy things. We serve a God who fights for us. He leads the way, he won the ultimate battle and he did it the hard way because sometimes the hard way is the only way. But with Jesus, even the hard way is the better way. Well, three years ago, this was about um, five years into my my life as a pastor. Uh, I began to have serious, sort of debilitating doubts that this was what God called me to do. Um, I think I just sort of realized that, like most jobs, right, being a pastor is hard. It has those moments. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that, and, and it, it caught me off guard, and quite honestly, I caught myself regularly fantasizing about what else I would do with my life. I wasn't, I wasn't ready to throw in the towel, but I was in a pretty desperate place. Um, for years, it's, it's all that I'd wanted to do, and then there in those moments, I just I wasn't, I wasn't sure anymore. Um, and during that time, I went away uh, to a cabin for a week, just... Me and God. Talk about hard, okay? Totally alone for a week. And during that time, I had a lot of time to to pray and to think and to journal and, you know, all of those those different things. And I can remember one sort of spewed out journal entry in particular. I kind of later titled it, uh, Learning to Preach Without Losing Your Soul. Because that's several pages just on me sort of spewing that out. To God, Uh, and I know I know it's kind of weird to quote yourself, right? We get it, but I want to I want to sort of let you into that part of my life from three years ago. Here's here's one of the things I wrote. Wrote called Ugh. I thought being called to something meant it was going to be awesome, great, exciting, fun, easy. Sometimes it is all of those things, and I love it. What I didn't realize is that sometimes being called is painful. Exhausting, frustrating, emotionally and spiritually debilitating, and just plain hard. And I don't know what it was, but writing those words was a turning point for me. And really that whole journal entry or whatever you want to call it. Because I love what I do. And I almost never, almost never fantasize about doing anything else. I mean, I, I love being your pastor. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to go anywhere. This, this is where I want to live and breathe and serve for as long as God lets me. But I had to come to that point of realizing that nobody said it was gonna be easy. But that doesn't mean God isn't with us. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you in your circumstance it just means sometimes we feel the brokenness around us and it hurts. It's whatever you're holding on to. Whatever, whatever it is that keeps coming to your mind as, as I've been talking this morning, nobody said it was gonna be easy. But will you join us anyway? Will you follow Jesus with us? Will you join the mission that he is doing, the things, the work of redemption that he is doing in our lives individually, as families, together as a community, and across our world? Will we be faithful to him? Life with Jesus is hard. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, I pray that you would give those who are struggling through some of these things right now, whether it's health or marriage issues or just discouragement in a goal, um, finding a place to to serve, whatever it may be, God, I pray that you would bring comfort. Lord Jesus, that you would help them to know your love and your goodness so that they could trust you God, I pray for all of us and and the things that you've called us to do. Lord, I pray that we would not be so gripped by what is easy, but that we would pursue what is good. That you would captivate our hearts and imaginations so deeply, so profoundly, that a hard life with you is so much better than an easy life anywhere else. God, I thank you that you've called me to this place. Thanks for calling me to be a pastor. And thanks that I get to do it with these awesome people who I love so much. Help us now to worship you, to praise your great and glorious name. Amen.